We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Should A.J. Brown be the highest-rated rookie wide receiver, where should Travis Kelsey be drafted in startups, and how valuable of a long-term asset is James Conner? We're talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Hi everyone, I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. This is Rotoviz Radio brought to you by the FFPC. I'm joined tonight by Matthew Friedman, the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network and NCAA Tournament Specialist. Matt, we're going to have a little bit less structured of a show than the last couple of weeks. But before we hit the football, let's uh, let you just really elaborate on your successes with this NCAA tournament prop betting. Uh, I mean, I don't have much to say except it's a uh, God-given talent. <laughs> no, um, no, it's it's really weird because it's it's not anything. I mean, as we talked about before, that I've ever focused on. But uh, yeah, I'm really in the weeds of creating projections and uh, doing doing pretty well. So uh, it's unfortunate, but also probably uh, a good thing that they don't offer player props during the year. Um, during the regular season because I would spend way too much time uh, looking at that. So yeah, just uh, I already have projections created for the final four and just waiting for uh, for the sites to release props. Have you ever seen, is there anywhere that has college basketball DFS? Uh, I don't know, honestly, because it's, it's never anything I've, I've looked for. Yeah, because um, it feels like this yeah. would be translatable to that specific purpose. Yeah, it probably would be. I mean, the thing is, um, it's it's easy, it's doable to create projections during uh, the postseason because fewer teams are playing and uh, there's more information on players who are injured, but it would be really hard to do this during the year. Um, so yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, it's the kind of thing where maybe there is a site that's offering uh, college basketball DFS, but I've never really looked at it. I, there has to be. Because there, yeah, there are sites that offer college football DFS. The thing is, uh, in only about half of the states uh, can you play college uh, fantasy sports. So, like, that is the the really big hindrance. Right. Yeah, actually, I was so disappointed when I discovered um, that uh, college football was not available in New Hampshire. Uh, it was a crushing blow. 
Anyway, a uh, quick reminder here that you can get a 30% listener only discount through the podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast to an NFL sub for Rotoviz. We are in the process of doing a major overhaul to the site. We have a million things going on in the background. We released the box score scout today, which is going to be a go to app for any dynasty player. You want to see what a player did in college, get a quick look at his measurables. You head to our new box score scout, and it also is putting together some sweet comps that we spent a fair amount of time thinking through which factors would go into these comps, looking at some measurables and some college production. So definitely check that out. And as a reminder, if you enjoy the show, please, please, please leave us a review, subscribe or unsubscribe and subscribe again on whatever platform you listen to us on. And don't be afraid to give us a follow on Twitter, but definitely pay attention to the site over the next month or so. There's going to be a lot of really, really exciting developments coming out Matt, I was working through some rookie wide receiver rankings this weekend, and I kept finding myself asking, why wouldn't A.J. Brown be a natural choice for the number one wide receiver in this class? I feel like maybe two months ago, I heard a little bit more buzz about him, but since the combine with everything DK Metcalf did, other receivers getting their measurables into the mix, I have not heard quite as much conversation about A.J. Brown. So give us the knocks on him and why people might not like him. And then now that you've had some more time to digest this class, where do you slate him in with this, in what my opinion is a very good group of receivers? Yeah, I don't know why anyone actually wouldn't like him. Um, I have uh, Inkill Harry ranked slightly ahead of him, but uh, I don't. So let me let me read to you what I wrote uh, months ago before the combine, yep. before any of it. As I had Inkill Harry as my 101 and AJ Brown as my number two. Uh, okay, thicker than molasses. Brown dominated the SEC over his two final seasons, averaging 111.8 yards receiving per game over that span. Uh, with back-to-back campaigns of more than 1,200, blah, 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 he might be the 101 in many leagues, depending on landing spot and athletic measurables. So, like, I already was pretty high on him. I think he should be a first-rounder uh, in terms of the NFL draft. Um, but there are people who think of him as more of a second-rounder, which I think would be the, the reason why he would uh, – be less valuable in comparison to someone like DK Metcalf or any anyone else who might go in the first round. But um, yeah, I mean, I think he's the the player to whom I think he's most comparable as a prospect is Andre Johnson, uh, just because of his size and athleticism and production. Yep. Um, and more more productive, in fact, than Andre Johnson was in college. But uh, just in terms of his athleticism, like his size, like he has a weird size, like 6'1", 225-ish pounds. Like that's most guys who are like 225 pounds, they're like 6'3", 6'4". So like he's a thick guy, um, but he has really great athleticism, sub uh, 4, 5, 40. So yeah, I don't don't know why uh, he's not getting hype as someone who should be highly drafted and really valued uh, in rookie drafts. I think he's a locked in top three pick for me, at least. Yeah, I, I mean, to, to hit on the measurables a little bit more, uh, as you said, a 44940 at 226 pounds. So that's at that size, a 65th percentile 40 yard dash, very strong, uh, 62nd percentile vert, 47% broad. But I think even more important than that is he was playing at Ole Miss, a school not necessarily known for its aerial attack. I don't think that their quarterback was particularly impressive, and I don't think that the offense was running away. That was really allowing A.J. Brown or uh, D.K. Metcalf, for for that matter, to really show all of what they could do. Yet, we still see on his career 189 wrecks, 15.8 yards per reception, a total of 2,984 yards in that strong SEC, 19 receiving touchdowns, but also the market share numbers are very good. Over the course of his career, uh, 23% of receptions, 26% of yards, 26% of touchdowns, and in 2017, some very encouraging numbers, 35% of yards, 42% of touchdowns. Now, keep in mind, he's playing alongside DK Metcalf, who we see as this very athletic player, another big, strong, imposing wide receiver. I understand that Metcalf was injured at points and perhaps didn't really translate his game that well into 
the collegiate game, which I, I think in his case is a red flag, but still that is really impressive production when you consider all of those other factors that I just laid out. Uh, so when you look at a player like in Keel Harry, very similar kind of profile athletically, he had good production too, but I do think that, um, there was less competition for Harry in those market share numbers, which admittedly are a little bit better than Brown's, but the yards that you see from Brown and the overall market shares in a better conference with a better uh, group of receivers that he's playing with, to me, is just really impressive. And, and I don't think that there's been enough focus on how important that college production is, especially when you consider not even 22 yet, 21.7 at the combine. Again, uh, I think Harry was maybe a month older. So very, very similar player. So I can see you could go either way. I've just been surprised I haven't heard more talk about Brown. So that's kind of my case for him. Yeah, I honestly, I don't know why. I think it's, I think a lot of it is that there is a lot of depth uh, at the receiver position this year. And people were just so enamored with DK Metcalf that it's easy for them, uh, if they really want to make the case for Metcalf, just to avoid mentioning AJ Brown. Um, but yeah, he's, he's up there for me. Uh, the, the reason why I have in kill Harry a little bit ahead of AJ Brown and really like, honestly, when I redo my rankings, I might put Brown ahead of him. But, uh, one of the things for Harry is that, um, I mean, he was productive, uh, really early in college and he entered college as like a five star, um, which, I don't know, like I've kind of been playing around with models that incorporate, like use, uh, like high school or like recruit rating as like something of a Bayesian prior. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's one thing he really had in his favor was that he was like one of the top wide receiver recruits, if not the top wide receiver recruit when he entered, uh, when he entered college. Yeah. You know, I'm never really sure about what to make of what players were, you know, how they were ranks coming out of college, because I think a lot of those problems that we'll view with scouts looking at these players leaving college going into the NFL would be even more magnified with them coming out of high school, you know, less scientific of a process, will you, if you will. Uh, the information's probably not quite as good. There's a lot more that you have to control for in terms of competition. Um, however, though, there has to be some credence to it because we do see the schools that recruit the most five-star players do have the best success on the field. So uh, yeah. th- there's certainly some validity to it. It's there. There is something there. It's just a question of how much. How much is it worth, and how does it? How does the uh, signal of it show up uh, next to the signal of all of the other things like athleticism and college production? But yeah, there definitely is something there because you can pretty much determine, like, out of a group of four or five teams, uh, like who's going to win the national championship based on how they've recruited over the last four years. Um, and it's and you see that especially in football, but you see that even more. Uh, well, actually, I, I don't know if I should say that. I was gonna say, like, I think you also see the other thing. Uh, you see that in other sports, too. Um, mm-hmm. But I know you definitely see it in football. Yeah. It, yeah, actually, it's it, it's interesting because if you look at the football numbers, those are pretty staggering. Now, it's been a long time since I looked at the college basketball piece, which I do think there was an element to it. But what you'll see, because there's fewer players on the court, it's there's more likelihood that you can have one guy that's just really awesome that out like, you know, is able to make up for the deficiencies of the rest of the team. So I think in college basketball, you'll see more cases where the average star rating might not be as strong, but if a team can pull in one or two of those guys, it really propels them forward. Um, but don't quote us on any of this, because I think in this regard, we might not be as informed as we are on, on uh, other topics. Yeah. That's, I think that's fair. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> not another question for you, as I alluded to at the top of the show, and this is more of a question for you, Matt, of how you value tight ends, uh, especially in startups, but I'm assuming that you would have Travis Kelsey as the, or, or maybe not even at this point. Um, nope. No, I, I don't. You, you have Kittle? Yes, or, I or do. Ertz. Okay. Okay. So I want to stick th- w- you can answer this in two pieces and then your view on how you should value the tight end position in startup drafts. And then with that in mind, where you take a player like Travis Kelsey at this point in, in a startup. So I kind of, you know, want an approximation of either what pick or what round you think it starts to make sense. Okay. Uh, while you were talking, I was pulling up, oh, I can't find it. I have Ertz. Yeah. Ertz is my number three. Kelsey is my number two. And I have Kelsey ranked at 24th. Uh, and then I have Kittle ranked 19th overall. 
overall. Obviously. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that doesn't seem too crazy to me. I actually um, am working through my dynasty rankings. Uh, I was doing that today, which is what kind of prompted this question. Um, and I don't think I have Kittle quite as high as you, but I think Kelsey's probably going to end up in the, in, around the same region. So yeah, I'm, I'm really optimistic on Kittle. And, mm-hmm. and so the way I'm thinking about it is Kelsey will be 30 this year. And I mean, Kittle is, he's older than people think he's been in the league only two years, but he entered at 24 years old. So he'll be 26, you know, this year, but, um, you know, it takes some tight ends a little bit of time to ramp up, but like Kittle was great right away. Uh, and my question is, so this was the question I asked myself, um, in a year from now, am I going to have Kittle ranked ahead of Kelsey? And in my head, I'm like, yeah, I, I probably will. I can like see the path to how I get there. Mm-hmm. And if I'm thinking in a year, I'm going to have Kittle ranked ahead of Kelsey, like the future is now, you know, like that's how I look at dynasty leagues. Like I might as well just move him ahead now. I can get that because a, a key piece of this is if there is a marginal difference between two players at the current point in time, you should lean towards the one that is going to be in, in many ways, probably sloping upward in his value or his usefulness to your team. Whereas Kelsey is probably on the decline from this point. Uh, so I get that. So to, to the next part of the, the original question here is why do you think that it makes sense? And I'm not saying it doesn't to start to consider tight ends at this range, given that we have not always seen historically that they're scoring as many points as good running backs or good wide receivers. Sure. That's a good question. So from a kind of macro perspective, um, I think I, I try to be high on wide receivers um, because I think they have more value. Um, I think their their value is more projectable year to year uh, relative to running backs, and it is longer lasting relative to running backs. So uh, I try to just be high on receiving talent, and I, I include some tight ends in that. Um, like Kittle, you know, I think – I mean, he can block some, but he's basically a big slot receiver. But so anyway – um, that's kind of the answer of uh, like tight ends or like pass catchers relative to running backs. Yep. Uh, I just kind of want to be higher on them. And then the best tight ends, um, you know, so we'll say that triumvirate of Kittle, Kelsey and Ertz. Yep. Uh, I think they are all as good as like, you know, let's say like wide receiver seven to wide receiver 12 in that range of, of player, I think that's where they slot in just in terms of the type of fantasy production you could probably project out for the next like two to three years. For sure. And I think one of the reasons that I'm okay, even though as far as the position goes, I've never given it as much of a priority or anywhere near the priority I would give to running back or receiver. The difference here is I think that with players like Ertz, Kelsey, Kittle, you can have a pretty good projection of what we can expect for them going out beyond three years, which isn't always easy. And they're in that range of point totals where they are a player that you can count on to be one of the anchors of your team, which is why I'm okay with them being maybe the second most important player on my team or the second player that I'm building around. Now, I personally think that when I'm building teams going forward in Dynasty, I am going to try to get one or two of those top rated running backs out of the gate. And the reason for this is I feel like I can do a better job with receivers of knowing which players I'm going to get sustained value from for a couple of years. Meanwhile, my um, my dog and cat are, are getting into a scuffle here. I don't know if you can hear that. But anyways, <laughs> um, so let me get my train of thought back. Okay. With, with wide receivers, I feel like it's easier for me to look at a player and project out three or four years of value. It's harder with running back. And depending on where your draft picks are going to be, now obviously you can do some things to trade around and get different picks. Sometimes you might know which running backs you like, but there just aren't enough of them to go around because so much of of how a running back is going to be useful to you in fantasy is dependent on what team ends up drafting them in the NFL draft, where I feel like I might be able to be a little bit more aware of some of those wide receivers that I can get later that will have, uh, you know, a three or four year window of usefulness. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that makes sense. Like, I think it is easier to find, let's say, wide receivers in the second or third round uh, who are going to pan out um, than it is to find tight ends. So, yeah, uh, I would rather attack the the tight end position uh, with more of a premium pick and then hope that my, you know, like box score scouting or however you want to think of it is yep. good enough at the wide receiver position uh, to be able to sort of arbitrage and find players who provide uh, like value that's in excess of what you would expect. Yeah, certainly. Um, final question I'm going to ask on this outside now of Ertz. Kelsey and Kittle. Are there any tight ends in a dynasty startup that you're thinking about going on before pick 65? Uh, pick 65. Very specific. That's, Very that's specific. specific. Let me, uh, let me look. Okay. Yes. Uh, there are two, uh, and I have them sort of in a tier going, uh, shortly before pick 65. Although I might need to rethink this a little bit, but I I'm, I'm good with these. I have OJ Howard and David Njoku. As, wow. as the so two guys, David Njoku. That's that's interesting. I thought you might say Evan Ingram. Now, Njoku, I think that there's a reason people be, could be concerned about him. Obviously, you have OBJ on yeah. the team now. It's looking like he is not as complete of a tight end as the team would like. Um, he might get pushed into a more kind of niche receiving type of role. He's probably not going to be out there for every snap. Does that concern you? A little bit. Um, I think there's some sort of like Sashi assassination that's going on um, by basically trashing all of the all of the good players that's that's Sashi mm-hmm. brought in. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, I mean, they've said like we want him to be a a better blocker. There are things he needs to do. But uh, I am going to be uh, sort of pigheadedly uh, optimistic about a guy with his talent who uh, is a first rounder and who played as a 21 year old rookie. Like I'm just, that's going to be someone I'm going to invest in regardless kind of whatever happens in years one through three, like I'm going to be holding on to that guy for the long term. Yeah. I mean, I hear you with Nchoku. It's really hard to let go of a player that has that profile like he does. If you go to Rotoviz and you go to the Combine Explorer and you type in David Njoku, I'm actually doing it right now. I mean, the the athletic measurables are just, you know, they're one of those things you, you can't look at them and not get excited. 87th percentile 40-yard dash, 56th percentile bench, 88 vert, 99 broad, 83 three-cone, a freak score of 72. Um, you know, it was 20.7 at the combine, 6'4, 246, running a 46440. It's just impossible not to get excited about him. Having said that, though, the situation that he's in has kind of changed a little bit. So un- unfortunately for Njoku, I think if you're looking at um actually probably he and um Duke Johnson, that uh Odell Beckham trade does kind of lower their value to a certain extent. So like, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm almost, I don't know. I'm not going to focus too much on situation yep. uh, because I think it's, I think that's one of the things that can sort of lead people astray um, is by focusing on like the, the micro stuff in their situation, because that, that can change pretty easily. Um, let me uh, walk you through the tight ends over the last like 25 years who were 21 years old as a rookie uh, and who were drafted in the first four rounds. And uh, and, and let me kind of um, segment this group by like guys who are pass catchers versus the guys who are like pretty clearly pass blocking tight ends. Yeah. Right. So there are like a couple of guys I'm going to take out. Yep. Uh, So the first one, Tony Gonzalez, Todd Heap, Jason Witten, Jermichael Finley, Martellus Bennett, Aaron Hernandez, Rob Gronkowski, Eric Ebron, Max Williams, David Njoku. Oh like, my that, God. That's a like who's that, who of tight ends. Yeah. And like Max Williams, like he blew out like both of his legs. Like you can kind of excuse him like out of the group. But even if you you include him in the group, like you would take you would take that. You know, like that group is a like Hall of Fame caliber group. Um, these guys who enter the league that young 
drafted that highly. Like they long-term have such high potential that I'm not even going to focus on what's happening for David Njoku in his first few seasons. If it's productive, that's great. Uh, if it's just borderline, that's that's still fine. Like he is someone I want to hold long term, so I almost kind of don't even care. And if it's a situation like uh, like even Eric Ebron, like if it looks like things are getting bad for him, I just want to invest long term. Like use that as the opportunity to get him cheap because I just have this belief yep. long term, looking at the trends, that at some point things are going to turn around. I accept that premise. So this this is kind of one of those where. You have a player that's so talented that it's just a matter of when things can work out for him. At some point, it's going to come to fruition. The situation doesn't matter so much. At some point, even if it is something where maybe he moves on from the Browns, you think he can make it work. I get that. Now, if we're talking about just 2019, and I know that things are going to be different. It's going to be Baker Mayfield for a full season, changes in the coaching staff, eight Red zone targets for Njoku in 2018, five receptions, four touchdowns. Do you think that that number can improve when perhaps we have Nick Chubb getting used more appropriately in the red zone for the full season? You also have OBJ and Jarvis Landry, who they can go to as well, perhaps even uh, Kareem Hunt out of the backfield, perhaps Duke Johnson at certain points. Can that red zone production go up? And am I overstating perhaps the importance of getting those red zone touchdowns for Njoku's 2019 outlook? Yeah, I think it might be about the same. I think the offense is going to be uh, more efficient than it was last year. So I think there will be more total red zone trips. Um, So I would expect Njoku to kind of benefit in that way. But I don't think he's going to be like a top five tight end. I think he's going to slot in like in the bottom half of the tight end ones. Okay. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm nonplussed here, especially because when I consider the, that group of tight ends that you read off is maybe the most astounding thing I've heard all month. So, well, all right. It's April 1st. <laughs> we'll, we'll say all most astounding thing I heard in March. Yeah. All right. Jordan Howard to the Eagles. Uh, what percentage of the workload do you expect him to control? And uh, from a fantasy perspective, is his value for 2019 and moving forward higher than it was when he was in Chicago? No, I think it's about the same. Percentage of the workload, it's really hard because um, it seems like even when they have a back they do like, they tend to split the work. Um, so I don't know. I would say like maybe 40, 45, 45% of the work, but I do think he will be the goal line back, which is valuable. Yeah. I think that's going to, uh, that's going to be where I land too. like off the top of my head before actually doing the numbers, I was going to say probably like 42, 43%, but for a player like Howard, I don't think that's going to change things too drastically in his value. And it does make sense that, um, he'll be getting the majority of the goal line carries, which, uh, you know, I thought the bears were pretty good last season. I can see some improvement there. So I think for him, it's kind of a lateral move. Yeah. I wrote of his fans. Allow me a brief second to tell you about our good friends at the FFPC, the home of season long high stakes fantasy football. Well, it may be the off season for most people. It definitely is not for our listeners or for the players over at the FFPC. If you're a diehard who's ready to draft now, the FFPC best ball leagues are already open with drafts forming daily starting at just $35 entry fees. And of course, we have Mike Beer's fantastic best ball tools. FFPC specific ones up at Rotoviz right now. Uh, so you can use those to help you in all of those best ball leagues. And if you're a fan of the dynasty format, the FFPC has become the go-to destination for serious dynasty players. They now have almost 300 active dynasty leagues starting at $77 and even have a $5,000 entry dynasty league. And the best part is not a single dynasty league has folded in nine years. Limited orphan teams are available for purchase right now and brand new startup dynasty leagues will be opening shortly. Don't miss the FFPC experience. Rotoviz listeners go to myffpc.com and register now that's myffpc.com the home of season-long high stakes fantasy football this show is presented by sap who am i and how am i feeling i'm clive owen and i'm great thanks what if businesses could really understand how their customers feel it's a thing it's sap experience management for more go to sap.com xm 
Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Okay, Matt, looking back to the 2007 wide receiver class, and I'm looking at the Rotoviz tourney that we had. Um, and to put things in perspective, the 2017 class, the finals were Chris Godwin versus Corey Davis. Corey Davis won. Uh, Chris Godwin beat out Taewon Taylor, and Corey Davis beat out John Ross. Other names in this class, D.D. Westbrook, Taewon Taylor, Zay Jones, Juju Smith-Schuster, Katie Cannon, Cooper Cup, Carlos Henderson, Josh Malone, Curtis Samuel, Isaiah Ford, Josh Reynolds, Malachi Dupree. Love that name. A pretty interesting mix of players here. We've seen some of them hit. Out of these guys that have not really broken out yet, who are you still holding out hope for? Um, man, it's, it's a good, that's a good list of names. It is. It is. Uh, okay. So I'm going to have to list a a couple of guys. Yeah, I figured. uh, Probably. Uh, Curtis Samuel. Uh, I think back in the day, if I'm remembering this correctly, I wanted, uh, I, I voted for him above Corey Davis. And I think I was maybe one of the only people to do that. And I still like that. Um, like, I think people were just too high on Corey Davis for a number of reasons. But uh, Curtis Samuel, like, I still think he is Percy Harvin without the migraine issues, uh, just in terms of, like, what he did in college and his athleticism, his, like, biophysical profile. Um, I think he has that type of capability. Uh, he was injured so much of his rookie season. That was a lost year for him. Uh, but he, you know, I think he came on uh, pretty impressively in the second half of last year. Uh, I think there's a lot that he could do. So he's someone I'm really interested in. Uh, I want to be interested in John Ross, um, <laughs> you know, like guys who are fast and, uh, you know, like he had multifaceted production in college, um, you know, scored as a return man, uh, had some decent rushing production. Um, he's someone I want to like, uh, you know, first rounder, super fast. I guess it's just a question of whether he's actually a good receiver uh, and then whether he, you know, can stay healthy. Um, I'm interested potentially in what he could do in that offense. Like we don't have much of an idea of what that offense in Cincinnati is going to look like. So maybe they can use him in some pretty creative ways uh, to put him in space, to unlock his skill set. So he's someone I would be interested in. I think you could probably get him pretty cheaply. Um And I guess some of it also depends on what you think of uh, Mike Williams. Like, would you consider his season last year like a quote unquote breakout season? You know, he scored 10 receiving touchdowns and then I think one rushing touchdown, um, but he didn't have many targets, uh, you know, not many receptions, not many yards. So like, how do you, how do you think of him? He's someone I still like long-term. And then obviously DD Westbrook is someone I'm just going to uh, have rational enthusiasm for until he retires. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess at least he got it. it, it, uh, What might be, well, I mean, I think in my opinion, it's a quarter up quarterback upgrade maybe not as much as uh some people would like to think it is Um, a massive quarterback upgrade (laughs) (laughs) yeah well no let let me frame it like this i think that nick Foles is good but i don't think that it's this jump from a well i guess it depends on how bad you think that blake bortles is i guess all i'm saying is i don't think that nick Foles might be as good as the casual observer would think given what we saw go down in his time in philly i mean that's probably fair i i think he's decent but i there's just the question of what's going to be happening with that offense yeah uh, like Foles within that offense probably won't have the impact that he could have if he had an yeah. actual offensive play caller Right. I think that's kind of my point. Yeah. I think that's kind of what I was getting at from DD Westbrook's perspective. How much does this change really matter? Um, But going back to this list for me, I I think Curtis Samuel was the first name that stood out to me. Um, As as a reminder out there, you know, if if anybody hears that name and they go back and look him up, you're not going to be that impressed with the receiving stats. I think, uh, you know, his best season was, um, I think it was his last season, but a lot of the reason you're not going to see it, as you alluded to with that Percy Harvin type of profile, he had a lot of rushing uh, rushing 
production. So it was kind of a mixed profile coming out of Ohio State. And I think it's going to work out nicely for him being in a depth chart now behind a receiver like DJ Moore, where that can hopefully open up for the team to be able to use him in a way that makes sense. So for me, it really is Curtis Samuel. Yeah, that's fair. And, and then there's also like the, well, Corey Davis was the guy who won our bracket <laughs> and right. uh, he still hasn't broken out yet. Uh, or at least I would say he hasn't broken out yet. And so there's a question of like, do you have any uh, any faith in him? Uh, are you still holding out for him? I don't know if I am. Like I, I never invested in him uh, in Dynasty in part just because I never had a draft pick high enough to get him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, you know, playing in leagues like like the road of his league. No one, want, whoever has him, they're not going to want to trade him because they're a road of his guy, you know? So um, I, you know, I'm just not that interested in him at this point. And a lot of it now has to do with the offense that he's in. Yeah. That I was going to say, I think for me, for him as a player, maybe I could hold out some hope, but it just feels like with the way his career has gone with what we're seeing out of Tennessee, it seems more likely than not, if we haven't seen things work out for him, we're not going to see them work out. Um, but though, let's talk about Chris Godwin, a player who I think at this point um, has become a, in many respects, sought after uh, receiver. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he had a good, good finish last year. We now have Deshaun Jackson out of the mix. Godwin firmly entrenched behind Mike Evans should be playing a slot role. Um, if we look back to last season, he had a couple of strong games right out of the gate, 13, 16, 16 points, a couple of 20 pointers in the last six or so games. Now that DJX is gone, we have some changes in Tampa Bay. Can he be a top 24 wide receiver in 2019? Yeah, I think he can be. I mean, I don't want to say like, that's what I expect, but um, I think it definitely can happen. And I'm going to be optimistic on him. Like I'm going to be aggressive in drafting him. Um, that said, uh, this is a callback to the show we did last year with <laughs> Fantasy Mansion. Um, I still have him pretty clearly behind uh, wide receiver one, Mike Evans. Um, but I do think he has uh, top 24 possibilities. Like I... I don't want to say I'm going to draft him with that expectation, but I think he has a lot of potential in that offense. For sure. So I think it's fair to say that you're feeling like if Godwin is a wide receiver three on a redraft fantasy team next year, you think that that's good. Yeah, that's that's where I want him, hoping that yep. uh, I can get him there and then that he gives me uh, value far in excess of that. Yeah, uh, I think um, I feel pretty good about Godwin. I don't know how exactly or what exactly to make of this Tampa Bay team going into 2019 just yet. So I'll have to think about that more, but I'm on board. I think a top 24 finish is very possible, um, not guaranteed, but viewing Godwin somewhere in that around that 24 range probably makes sense. So talking about offenses that I don't know what to make out of them, if we look ahead to next season, what are the three offenses that you're most interested in targeting players from in 2019? And it's perfectly fine if for you the answer are those teams that we would normally expect, like New Orleans, like Green Bay, like Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, a, a smarter person would have spent more time thinking about this question. <laughs> but no, uh, you know, so Tampa Bay is one actually that I think I'm I'm going to be interested in. Um I, I will especially be interested to see what they do with the running back position in the draft, uh, whether they they address that or whether they go into it with uh, the two guys they had last year, really the one guy they had last year, Peyton Barber, and then whether Ronald Jones develops. Um, but I, I am optimistic on that offense as a whole because of Bruce Arians running the show there. Uh, and uh, I think especially like the in the backfield, Peyton Barber or Ronald Jones, whoever ends up being the guy, like that guy's going to be really cheap. Um, but I think he he could provide a lot of value if that offense takes a step forward. Uh, and then another offense I'm going to be interested in, although like it's it's going to be hard, I think, to um, to get players in this offense cheaply. But uh, the Colts, they yep, are a team mine, I, yep. I want to have exposure to. Um and then I don't know, like after, like I'm, cause I'm trying to sort of like balance getting players at a discount, um, like relative to 
what they might do. Um, so I don't know. I'm interested. I'm kind of interested in the Cardinals. Oh, that's the other one I was going to say. Yeah. I, I think I think that it makes sense because this could be one of those things where we see a significant improvement. The players are already priced down as a result of that. So their upside isn't necessarily being factored in. And there are a couple of players there that we've seen be really good before. Obviously, you have Larry Fitzgerald, David Johnson. All it takes is a couple of changes and a little yeah. bit more production. He can easily make his way back into that top seven, maybe even top five. Um fantasy running back conversation and then who knows maybe we see christian kirk um get used better when kyler murray is there um and and let's assume kyler murray is the quarterback there right like he he is the guy i am targeting in redraft leagues Mm -hmm. like he will he will be a quarterback one you know like Mm -hmm. um i I think there's no question about that because of his running capability like right so, and I don't think a lot of people will be taking him as a quarterback one. So I think you can get him a little bit later. Yep. I think he's a great late round quarterback option. Uh, and then, yeah, if you can sort of stack him with some of the other options on that team, and I think they will be uh, investable at a really cheap price. Like that's an offense that interests me. Me too. And I think that talking a little bit more about Murray at this point, the more research that I've done, he's really distanced himself from Haskins in my mind. Because it it is easy to think about Kyler Murray as a balanced player between the rushing and the passing and just not seeing how good his passing numbers really were and just how good his rushing numbers were as well. There's just so much there um, that when you look at the whole player, it's hard not to get very excited about him. And um, I think that when you have a team, this is again, assuming he goes to Arizona, that's going to do what they're going to do to bring him in, move Josh Rosen out. They're going to know what they want to do with him. There's just a lot of positive signs there. And from that fantasy perspective, when you have that rushing production, it can make up for perhaps maybe not being in the best team. And some of those, uh, rookie growing pains, if you will, and in, in this team kind of reforming itself that he'd have to go through. So like, I, I'm really on board with him. Um, this isn't on the sheet, but if Dwayne Haskins or Drew Locke, and we've talked about how I, I think that Drew Locke doesn't really have any chance for success, end up in New York, is there any hope for them? Uh, yeah, I mean, potentially the, um, you know, the the guy they have there running the show is, you know, supposed to be someone who can really help quarterbacks revitalize their career. So um, <laughs> maybe, you know, th- that can be good for them. Um, and I think they would be someone who sits on the bench for a year or at mm-hmm. least half a season. And I, I think that could probably be a good thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's some hope, especially, you know, if a guy's going in the first round, like, you know, there's hope there. The one thing I, I want to come yeah. back to yeah. with Kyler Murray um, not only is he really good as a runner and you mentioned good as a passer, like the, the type of his passing is really valuable, yeah. uh, in comparison to Haskins, uh, Haskins wasn't really throwing the ball all that far down the field. Uh, Murray was throwing it far, you know, like he was aggressively attacking, attacking teams downfield, which, um, you know, I think is indicative of the type of success he can have in the, in the NFL. So, uh, it's not just that he was productive. Like, I think he was productive in a way that actually means something. And then this offense for the Cardinals, they were dead last in the league last year, uh, in points scored with 225 over 16 games. Like that's just a, a really low number. Um, and they were, uh, easily the worst passing team in the league with 4.6 net yards per attempt. Like those numbers are just bound to improve. Like even if it were the same quarterback, the same coaching staff, everything else were the same, those numbers would naturally improve. But I think they're going to improve even more with uh, a better offensive coaching staff and a better quarterback. So I think people, even if they mentally adjust upwards, even if they say, okay, well, this team isn't, you know, this team is no longer the worst team in the league offensively. I think they still won't uh, bump them up enough in their rankings. So uh, I like the idea of just kind of like outside of any interest in their new coach and their new quarterback, the new offensive scheme outside of those things, just going for the team that last year was the worst in the league because people are going to have a bias against that. Very, very true. And, uh, 
just to give one more thing um, on Murray, if you go to the Combine Explorer, or excuse me, not the Combine Explorer, the box score scout that we have up on Rotoviz, you can look at all quarterbacks at once. Do that and look at things that matter, like completion percentage, adjusted yards per, te- uh, excuse me, adjusted yards per attempt. And different metrics like that, and all of the ones that matter for quarterback, he performed really well in. So if you're looking for a player that is, for lack of a, or for trying to avoid a cliche here, but I can't, like that checks the boxes, he does it across the entire board. So I'm very excited about him. Now can I'm we, at, yep. sorry, can we, can we step out just a little bit? Let's yep. think about Kyler Murray from a dynasty perspective. Yep. What is the earliest you think it is justifiable to take him? In a dynasty league, um, are we saying in a rookie draft this year? Or yeah, a in, in a in a rookie draft. In a rookie draft, yeah. I actually think that this this is a year where I would be okay with a team taking him in the first if they're good at wide receiver because I don't really feel all that great about the running backs. Um, and I think it would be okay if you wanted to prioritize him over like an Irv Smith. Yeah. Um, so so I'm let's, actually let's say, talk like, about. Yep. Go ahead. You were going to say, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so like, I, I, you know, I'm not saying I would take Kyler Murray within the first nine picks, but I think after we get to that on certain teams, I might, might take a chance because I think that this is a player who's probably going to be able to put things together pretty early. And if he doesn't, you'll know off the bat and you can try to move on. Um, and, and you know, sometimes you have to take chances and I think that he's the type of a guy that you can take a chance on. And a lot of that has to do with the rest of the class, but go yeah, ahead. let's talk about the the players that we think no doubt belong ahead of him in a rookie draft. Okay, I would say Inkill Harry, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf. Whatever you think of DK Metcalf, he's going to be a first rounder. He has a lot of upside. Blah blah blah. Like he should yep. go ahead of him. Yep. Um, you know, I'll say the two tight ends, uh, yep. Hawkinson and Fant, belong ahead of him. Yep. After like after those guys. Like, uh, I mean, I I don't know. Like, I there are wide receivers I like, but I don't know if they definitely deserve to be ahead of Kyler Murray. Like, I am really optimistic on him. Like, I probably dangerously optimistic on him. Yeah, no, I hear that. I mean, I think like a lot of it with the other guys at this point is really going to depend on where they go. Like, if Paris Campbell found himself on like the Seahawks okay. or the Packers pa- or somebody like Paris that, Paris Campbell. I, I forgot about him. He should be he should be ahead of Kyler Murray. Right. And, and I will say also, uh, in the name of targeting a guy who will be 21 years old as a rookie at a, a premium position, Irv Smith. I will put Irv Smith ahead of Kyler Murray. Although, like from a prospect perspective, uh, that might not that might not be the smart move. But I'll just go ahead and do it. Yeah. Um, now other other players i don't know like i think for me daryl henderson i'm just enamored with so i would probably put him ahead and oh god i'm in love with miles sanders too so i actually might go with him as well obviously some of that would depend on on where they actually end up and also what round miles sanders actually goes in because i think that um I'm not really sure what to expect there, but I think the point is we're having trouble coming up with a definitive list of of 11 guys to go ahead of Murray yeah. in all yeah, situations. Like, so, Yeah, I mean, I think if someone drafted him as early as, um, I don't know, pick seven, pick eight, <laughs> I'm, I'm like in my head, I'd be like, you know what, that's early. But um, if you are really bullish on him, uh, I can understand it because I don't think there are so many, I don't think there are like enough slam dunk wide receivers who must go ahead of him. And yeah. I think he could be a guy who is a a quarterback one for 10 years. You yeah. know? And like that's I don't know. I like I I know it's easy to devalue the quarterback position, but I don't know. There's also something to be said for like locking in a awesome quarterback for a decade. Like I, I mean if you had to to redo the draft from two years ago, like how high does Patrick Mahomes go? Oh my God. And he goes so high. Yeah. Obviously there's some hindsight bias in that because you know, he's going to be awesome. But, um, I think it's really easy for people to devalue quarterbacks, even though like we can, we can somewhat, I don't know, like I would say it's a pretty easy projection to know that Kyler Murray is going to be a QB one, like a fantasy right. QB one 
Um, I think it's it's a much harder projection to know what some of these wide receivers yep. and running backs are going to do, but we're going to be really optimistic about what they can do while devaluing what Kyler Murray can do. Right. And here's the thing, right? Other positions, you can't as easily disqualify players. I can very easily disqualify a lot of quarterbacks from looking at their, uh, you know, how far down the field they were passing in college, from their completion percentage, from some metrics that put these things together. That's harder to do with other players because the quarterback is pretty much in control of, you know, a lot of his outcomes in the college game, more or less. And this class. There's no real running backs that I can look at their profile and be like, oh my God, this guy is definitely a slam dunk. Like last year, you know, there was no question for me, obviously, Saquon Barkley. For Nick Chubb, there was no question. Darius Geis, no question. We'll see how that pans out post the injury. But that was already three names. Uh, And then you had receivers like DJ Moore. There was just, you know, a different level of confidence with a lot of these players. And all of that just comes back to I'm actually now feeling a lot better about the pick that I made in that initial Rotoviz rookie mock that we did where I had the first pick. I took Harry one overall. And then um, at pick 13, when it came back to me, I took Kyler Murray. And at the time I was kind of yeah. questioning it, but I feel pretty good now. Yeah, I, I think I maybe made fun of you, but I, I was probably wrong. Like, I, I mean, I think it's it's a totally justifiable pick. Yeah, for sure. Um So anyways, I think we should say though here, I think that we may have now oversold him a little bit. So no, that's impossible. I think that I think we've left people with the impression that this is Patrick Mahomes, that they're drafting Patrick Mahomes and that that's not a safe way to look at this. I think ultimately what we're saying is, is if you're past some of those names that we mentioned and you're at a point where your team does not have that need where you can go ahead and really try to address it and you're looking for default pick. You don't have one of these really solid young quarterbacks. It's perfectly fine to go with Murray. Maybe yeah, I mean, let's go with he's, that. He's he's not Patrick Mahomes, but he's I mean Okay, but I, I don't, I don't necessarily know. He, he's, he's Michael I, he's Michael Vick with a better arm. Okay, yes. But but I, I okay, I get all of that. I get all of that. But what I'm saying is though is that people can't be thinking about it like he is one of these guys because that production has come to fruition, right? So that's right. building a bias into your head that you shouldn't have. Like there still are some question marks and just how good he could be, who knows. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I guess all I'm saying is that the question mark with him is a lot smaller than it is with someone like DK Metcalf. Oh my god, it's so much smaller. Yeah. Oh, DK Metcalf. I I'm having so much uh, I don't know. He's such a polarizing player. You know, it, like if you ask me it, it, in an oscillating 20-minute timeline how I feel about DK Metcalf, my answer could be all over the place. It's never yeah. number 1 overall though. But um, you know, I just don't have as much optimism as you in most of the things that we discuss. Um, but you know, I have a little <laughs> spot for DK Metcalf. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one sorry, one more way to think about this, yep. not to beat this Kyler Murray thing to uh, to death, but <laughs> okay. um, he's. I mean, think about how how good uh, Josh Allen was last year mm-hmm. as a fantasy quarterback, mm. even though he was bad as an NFL quarterback, or or like Blake Bortles uh, in his time in Jacksonville, where he had multiple top five seasons at the position, even though he was bad. So yeah. like even if Kyler Murray is bad, I think it's very reasonable to project him for a couple of pretty high end fantasy seasons. And if he's good, like he's going to be a guy who's around for a decade, uh, barring massive injury, which is always something that could happen with a running quarterback. But still, like I, I want to take a shot on him. Like even if he's bad, I have a sense of what he can do. If these quarterbacks are or uh, sorry, if these running backs or wide receivers are bad, like that's going to have fantasy implications. They won't actually be productive. For sure. And that just makes me think of two good examples of what you're talking about. Um, Do you remember? I don't even remember what year it was, but there was one season where Andy Dalton finished like top five. 
And yes. a lot of that, he actually produces more rushing than you would expect. So it's kind of like if he could just keep, you know, that rushing should be there. If he can rush like Andy Dalton did that season and pass like Andy Dalton did, which he should be able to do, you're looking at a strong season. Then there's also the season where Kirk Cousins had decent passing production, but four rushing touchdowns. We know Mario should produce more with his legs. So it's kind of like there's just that level of passer that he needs to get to. And you're already looking at a very strong fantasy quarterback. Yep. Um, okay, I'm going to skip that last question that I had, and we're going to go on to something fun to close this out. So a couple of weekends ago, um, we were at a family gathering, and my brother was talking about like these great prank calls that I used to do. I, I've pranked everybody in my family very, very well. Anyways, my nieces heard this, and they got all excited, and they wanted to do a prank call. So as they were calling family members with with what I would consider to be pretty weak premises. Uh, they're eight and 10. Uh, I had them come up with names for the people that would be calling. And they came up with this with these three particular names. And I want you to, to rank them, Matt, in order of most believable as a name to least believable or like what sounds the most made up. Okay. The first is Jimmy Gobbler. All right. The second is Isaac Conchivia. And the third is Fernando Von Schnees. <sighs> Uh, can you say, can you say this one more time? <laughs> yeah. Jimmy Gobbler. Yeah. Isaac Conchivia and Fernando uh-huh. Von Schnees. Uh, okay. I would go, uh, with the second one. Yep. And then Gobbler as the, uh, as the one that's in the middle. Yep. And then the one that's like Von Cheese. Von Cheese. As yeah. the third one, as the least believable name. Well, have you ever heard of somebody actually named Isaac? I think that my uh, my niece Caroline was mixing up Isaiah and I and Isaac into one name. But okay, so you're saying most believable Isaac Conchivia, then Jimmy Gobbler, and the least is Fernando Von Schnees? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, I told them that I thought they had to work on making the names a little bit more believable. So I will- well, uh, there, There's no question, but actually is part of, like how believable do you want the name to be? Um, I mean, I think if you're really trying to prank, then you want the name to be somewhat believable. Um, but with I these think, with these schemes they drew up, it was it added to the humor of it. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a question: what is the purpose of the prank call? But um, if like it's just to make you laugh, then I think whatever name you come up with, like as like the more ridiculous, the better. But I think like you want a name that sounds as if it could be fake. <laughs> And you have to make the person think about whether it's a fake name or not. Yeah. And they just decide to believe that although it sounds like it might be fake, they should just give the person the benefit of the doubt and think it's real. Yeah. Well, Isaiah Conchivia called up my dad and told him that um, the their condo had been broken into and that the, um, the perpetrators had pooped on his pillows. So... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah... Uh, so I don't know if it was the most believable prank to go with off the top, but I yeah. thought that that was, you know, Isaac Conchivia might as well be the one to, to drop a deuce on the pillows. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a deuce dropper. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Uh, hey, we've talked about this before, but I don't remember. Do you watch South Park? No, I don't. Uh, all right. Well, I was going to bring it's up. A, the- it's a shortcoming of mine. Yeah, I was going to bring up the mystery of the urinal deuce. So people out there listening will get a call back for that, but you won't. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, That's fine. All right, that's going to do it for today's show. Again, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at MattFTheOracle. Be sure to check out Rotoviz. And if there's any topics you want us to discuss or questions you'd like for us to answer, send an email to rotovizradio at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. 
Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.